previously on Good Sex, Bad Sex. So it's about an underground phenomenon called tubing where people are setting up um, sexual liaisons on the tube and kind of doing it amongst the crowded carriages. And, um, but it, that's the kind of premise of the novel, but it, it turns into a thriller. <laughs> Hello everyone, how are you? Hope you're behaving. Um, thank you for joining us today. I say us, Miranda's in rehab, um, because we have a really special Good Sex, Bad Sex today. It's, uh, it's quite the coup. Um, I'm Bibi Lynch, and the fabulous Miranda Kane and I spoke to the equally fabulous Dr. Brooke Magnanti a few weeks ago. Um, you know who Brooke is. She's the famous and infamous Belle du Jour. I know, we can't believe it. We're thrilled to have her. Um, as Belle, Brooke wrote an incredibly sexy and incredibly successful anonymous blog about her time as a cool girl. Belle du Jour, Diary of a London Cool Girl, was, was an unbelievable sensation, spawning many, you know, who is she, columns and conversations, as well as being turned into two books and a hit TV show starring Billy Piper. Belle finally exposed herself in 2009 and many by being a child health scientist and not Toby Young. Seriously, Google it. Google who people thought she was. Um, she was so fascinating to talk to. Her take on sex work, her mom, she's American, half American, uh, the media and just sex is so interesting. And she also read an extract from her book for us, which is just so brilliant. Um, so I hope you love listening to Brooke as much as we love chatting with her. Um, so here she is. Please picture the scene. Me, gorgeous Miranda, legend Brooke, and producer Sam giving us all back rubs in our CD metro.co.uk studios. Good times. We are here with Dr. Brooke Magnanti, who you might recognise from Macrobioinformatics and the application of informatic methods to record human remains. I know. Oh, God, why didn't you say? <laughs> say it again. Uh, no, uh, <laughs> I've run out of breath okay, now. So. Okay. Uh, no, he's, of course, lovely Brooke Ragnanti, who is more well known for being the wonderful Belle du Jour. Thank you for having me. I tell you what, before we hear about life after your blog, Belle du Jour, uh, Brooke, could you please read us an excerpt just to give people a flavour about your work? Sure. So this is from the first book. Mm. And to set this up, I was very, very late for an appointment because the driver got lost and we had an argument. I had an argument with the taxi driver, ended up getting out, walking the rest of the way. <laughs> Luckily, the client was very understanding and offered me a drink. I love English archetypes. Public schoolboy, early 30s, MD of his father's company, you know, sort of person who says chin chin before every drink. Fan of Boris Johnson, obviously. <laughs> I stripped down to underwear at the bottom of the stairs and he watched me slowly walk up. I paused at the top of the steps and looked over my shoulder. So what do you want to do? I want to make love to you, he said. Like full on Barry White kind? <laughs> oh, yes. We wrestled in the bed sheets for the better part of an hour. His hair was soft and thick and smelled slightly metallic. And he said, what can I do to make you come? <laughs> I said, it's very complicated. We'd be here all night. I don't come with clients. Some people don't kiss, which I think is rubbish. It's just lips, after all. But orgasms, I say for special. 
This isn't difficult. I've never reached orgasm that easily. That sounds ideal, he says. Yes, I said. But do you have a drill press and six goats? Also, the planets are not in the correct alignment. <laughs> Don't stop. <laughs> it's just getting next? hot. Phoebe's so, getting turned on. So, just say quickly, praise it. What was Bill de What was the blog? What was the aim of it? What was the umbrella? Um, it was just me writing anonymously about my life and about the clients that I saw. Um, I would come in from an appointment, I would write a little description of what happened, and then I would put it into drafts, look at it the next day and think, is that interesting? Is that funny? Is that something you would tell your friends in the pub? If yes, hit publish. If not, junk it. (laughs) Brilliant. Yeah. So he actually ended up... um, Being president of him. (laughs) No, he asked me out. (gasps) And he gave me his number and then I did not accept him as a client again. I actually saw him two years later at uh, a wedding of a friend's – a friend of an ex-boyfriend. So I was was there with – and a now ex, mm. and he was also a guest at the wedding. Oh, did you acknowledge that? Peter? Yes, he did. Uh, and he came over to me and he looked at my then boyfriend. He's like, what are you doing with that Boy Scout? <laughs> Jealous. Kind of. Hilarious. Yes. Wow. Yes. So at the moment you're in West America somewhere? Yes. Yeah. yeah. I live in the Western US now. So I've gone from the West Coast of Scotland yeah. to the Western US. They're... Virtually identical, as you can imagine. <laughs> I'm a little bit starstruck. I'm trying to be oh, like really cool. amazing, and but I'm like, I'm my mind keeps going blank. So I'm like, I've been talking to you on Twitter for ten. How years. did you first connect on Twitter? It was Alan Sugar. It was Apprentice. What? Yes, yeah, yes. Alan Sugar introduced you. That's I had a hashtag game uh, called Yes Lord Sugar, and it was basically <laughs> we would be taking the piss out of all of the contestants, which is really easy to do, but it's also a drinking game. Yeah. So every time they hold their phone that funny way <laughs> or they come out with any sort of, uh, you know, silly little catchphrases and things like that. Um, yeah. Men wearing pink shirts with purple ties yeah. drink yeah. and yeah. get absolutely paralytic, obviously, is the point <laughs> of the game. Because Twitter's been quite a big thing for you. Like, cause you, so yeah. you've done the two Belle de Jour books uh, and then you worked on some more fiction. I what did. were the ones um, after you did So Belle? there was The Turning Tide mm. and um, You Don't Know Me, which is out this week in all fine bookshops and many not fine ones. <laughs> and those were sort of going into the crime genre because my publisher, when I was anonymous, they genuinely had no idea who I was. About two people that the publisher had ever met That's me. so brilliant. Wow. So when they... What freedom for you? Oh, it was great. I didn't have to do any publicity whatsoever. Um, I didn't have to turn up to anything. And, mm. you know, it was marvellous. I did everything through email. Being a hugely avoidant person, that's, <laughs> that was perfect. But when they found out that I had a background in forensic pathology, they were dead keen that I do crime and I wanted to do crime. And... Um, and so the and and also as well, once people knew who I was, mm. it was kind of hard to sort of carry on being Belle de Jour. Yeah. And writing about that. Can and I then, talk about the anonymity? Yeah. Because, well, first of all, well done for not being Toby Young. Oh, thank yes. you. <laughs> I, I feel like we should all be congratulating ourselves for this. Well everybody in the room. Well done. And all of our listeners for not being Toby because Young. Because some people thought Belle that was Toby Young. I know. How? 
Well, I think that there's sort of an assumption that if something is good, it must have been done by a man. Yeah. Uh, I I mean, I hate to say this, but there was a sense in which, oh, she makes literary references because, of course, women don't read books Mm. um, or don't read serious novels, that that I must be a man pretending to be a woman and that that's somehow a bigger achievement than being a woman living your own life. And this is something that unfortunately happens quite a lot in serious literature. You're only taken seriously if somebody, if you know, you've got oh, that out of two flesh between would have your legs. To be, have the initials, wouldn't they? That would, yes, exactly, exactly. When you think because because a man could not possibly touch the word Joanne on the cover of a book, we have J.K. Rowling. Yeah. yeah. Um, if, if his hands touched the word Joanne, the the femininity might oh. be soaked up through the skin, and and he might sprout tits overnight. And while yeah. most men would probably love having a personal pair of tits at their disposal. Never leave the house. (laughs) Ever. Ever. Um, Somehow they can't read it. So (laughs) it was... was it was funny at the time, but it was also it was mildly offensive looking back at it. Yeah. But, so being anonymous would have given you complete carte blanche to write what you want, I guess that that freedom. More or less, yeah. But also your blogs were so well received, and everyone was like, "Who is this? This is just so brilliant!" Mm. Didn't you want to go? It's me now. Give me the praise. Mm. Um, well, at the time, because I was not on a settlement visa, so I initially had come over as a grad student. Yeah. Um, and then I was working for a software company in London and, you know, hooking at night, as you do. <laughs> and I was afraid that if people found out who I was, I would lose my job and then I would have to leave the country and my career would be ruined and et cetera, yeah. et cetera. So I was a little bit frightened of one day opening the door and the world's press would be there. At the same time as well, I think that I hadn't fully taken on what a phenomenon it had become because I had been blogging as myself several years beforehand and at that time blogging was a tiny world. There were a couple of hundred people doing it. We all knew each other as well. And uh, so it didn't really strike me at first as like, oh, this is how people are finding out what a blog is and what blogging is. And most blogs at that time in the UK were written by media people who worked in London who were all talking about what organic yogurt they had at their desk that day. So it was genuinely content wise, it was very different from what else was out there. Um, I got lucky with timing, I guess you could say. There were a couple of mad things that started happening. I read that someone broke into your offices at the university you worked in. This was actually at a a children's hospital in Bristol. Oh, that's lovely. Uh, She did not break into my office. She broke into the office next to mine, which was actually the security office, (laughs) and was escorted off the premises. It's absolutely brilliant, isn't it? It was it was marvelous. But the thing that was funny about it was uh, I had moved very shortly beforehand, and she clearly had my previous address and all of my previous details. So we did a little drive by of the flat where I used to be, and saw a car parked outside with some journalists skulking in it, and, and had a little laugh. So you're having a donut watching them. Yes, exactly. And and the ground floor flat at that place was a uh, was a pot dealer and so he's he's flicking the curtains every few minutes being hugely paranoid that for some reason yeah. the mail on Sunday have turned up at his home to write this giant expose on 
his pot business, I suppose he thought. Wow. So it was it was kind of exciting at the time. It's the kind of excitement I don't want to go through again. Yeah. Were you forced to reveal who you are? Yeah. So when it when it became clear that the good people of Northcliffe House knew who I was, <laughs> they couldn't print it without an admission because of course if they were wrong, it would it would open them up to uh, all kinds of libel accusations and things like that. But they were putting the pressure on and I thought, well now's the time. Now's the time. I remember it being such a big thing. Like it was after an episode of Diary of a Call Girl and it was Billy Piper is going to be interviewing the real Val de Jour. Yes, yes. How did that, I mean... you? She'd you, already met me yeah. at that point. So she, she met me before the series started. Yeah. And, um, and she met me in one of my very good pervert friends um, <laughs> with a room full of producers being scandalized by what we were talking about. And we could talk about everything as long as it had nothing to do with my identity. Yeah. So she's like, you know, if you're sucking a man off and you need him to come really fast, what do you do? <laughs> it's like, well, finger on the backside, obviously. Oh, Billy. <laughs> Lucky <Yeah>. Mr. Piper. <laughs> uh, Chris Evans. Oh, was it? No, yes. it wasn't oh, there, no, no, was no. It, it, it wasn't Fox? Chris Evans. But I think oh, by it? then, because she was pregnant by Lawrence by season oh. two. Oh. Um, so she had a tit stand in for season two. Otherwise, it was all her own she babs. Had a tit well, because she was getting much fuller up top very, very quickly. Uh, but otherwise, it was her own breasts for all the series. Wow. Which is quite brave. Going, going straight from Doctor Who to, you know, get your tits out for the lads. I, I have to say, I, I have a lot of admiration for her as an actor. But did it strike you as being a bit insane that you've gone from this really. Anonymous lifestyle, blogging. A scientist. A scientist. You're in a lab. You're wearing a coat. I still have tits. I mean, I, have tits, <laughs> I do still have tits. And then suddenly it's like the World Series or something, this major announcement of we're going to be telling you who the real Belle du Jour is. It was, it was strange. It was a lot to get used to very quickly yeah. because as well, it absolutely ruined my retirement plans. I thought, I'll stay anonymous until I'm 65 and then I'll cash in. Oh, wow. <laughs> I mean, that was always the joke. Yeah. Um, but also, and, and this is so silly. So initially I spoke to the, the Sunday Times and then we knew that the Mail on Sunday were going to publish as well. Mm. Um, and we did not tell my husband's family. And we thought, oh, they're Guardian readers. This will this will <laughs> never hit the radar. <laughs> Oh, my God, the lesson you have to learn whenever you yeah. write something thinking they won't, they're the first person that will they read are, it. They're maybe they the are. only person that will read it. But I they know. will, yeah. That's, so, <laughs> I mean, so to be fair, my mother-in-law like? is incredibly supportive. But when I had to phone my own mother about it, and, and I was living in the UK and she was living in the US, that same week, one of my cousins in Ecuador had been kidnapped and was being held for a million dollars ransom. What? Wow. So we were having this other family crisis. And I couldn't get through to my mother on the phone because she's calling her brother down in Ecuador and we're trying to arrange all this stuff and uh, so while this is going on eventually I get her voicemail and it's like okay so mom mm, things I need to tell you I um, I was a hooker for a while and I wrote some books they did really well there was a television show that it's going to be in all the papers this weekend okay love you bye <laughs> Hope cousin's all right. <laughs> yeah, she was all right. Oh, uh, good. Yes, oh. yes. She, uh, so she's got massive curly hair, and she was chained to a tree in uh, somewhere near the border between Ecuador and Colombia, and with a tarp over her and two armed guards. They did a documentary about her. Uh, this, I, I, I mean, 
I have no, you know, me. No. I can talk. Yeah. Can't now. <laughs> <laughs> we were so confident when we went so into this. I was, and now it's just like... What? Now, international kidnappings and, oh and all God. of this sort of thing. She, um, when the guards would go for their toilet breaks, she would pick the locks with her hairpins and then stick them back and, and be looking to see if anybody was looking for her. Clever girl. But she was eventually rescued and, oh. and she still lives uh, in the same part of Ecuador with the rest of her family and my other cousins. And, wow. and not to take any attention away from your curly-haired genius cousin, <laughs> what, um, what did your mum say? What was the response to your voicemail? Well, she didn't, she didn't phone me back. The next thing that happened was the press turned up at her house and she lives on a farm in upstate New York and they surrounded her land and she came out onto her porch shouting i'm proud of my daughter and all of this thing. but they tried to follow her a car chase to work and what they didn't realize is they have these paid freeways in new york so she had the easy pass and could go through the easy <laughs> pass like meanwhile everybody said to stop behind her and pay the Do fare to get on. contactless <laughs> exactly. i've got change around here somewhere uh, oh, that's hilarious. and then she phoned me i was like i'm so sorry mom i'm so sorry she said oh it's the most exciting thing that's happened to you for ages. <laughs> Bar the kidnap. Yes. <laughs> She's got very short memory. It's like buses, isn't it? It all happens at once. It does, unfortunately. It does. What did you call it earlier? Hooking? Yeah, well. Hooking. Yeah. Um, was I it, think that was how I described it to her. Was it just for money? Was it just for money? It was for the money. It was also, I mean, it was in and of itself interesting. Mm, yeah. You know, I met interesting people. When I started doing it, I didn't have a day job. I was looking for work and I was renting this terrible room in North London and just watching the money run out and being yeah. very depressed. And, uh, th of course, this was back in 2003. The only person I spoke to during the day was the conductor on the bus. Oh. You know, yeah. my, little, my little carnet ticket. And, um, and it was all very sad. You do kind of get into the dressing up and playing a role and being the most interesting version of yourself for people who are only going to see you for a couple of hours. Yeah. Being able to turn that on and turn that off. That's so interesting. I enjoyed it quite a lot. I think that I did it for a reasonably short period of time. And to me, I always thought of it as it's a part-time job on my way to something else. I genuinely thought by the time I was in my 40s, which I am now, it'd be one of those things, oh, oh you literally never tell anyone. So I made the damn fool decision to write it all down. <laughs> but um, And what was that about? Why do you think you were prompted to do that, to write it? In part because I had stories I couldn't tell my friends. So I was already familiar with the blogging medium and I thought, right, I can't, I can't just turn around and I said, oh, you wouldn't believe this dick I sucked today. <laughs> oh, tell, like, no, just the, tell me quickly. The, the little <laughs> hole coming out on the side, it's at the top and it's just bonkers. <laughs> that happens sometimes. It happens sometimes. There's a hole on the side. No, well, sometimes there is. Sometimes it's not on the top. Sometimes it's on the side. And then when you have to deal with one of those and, you know, you're putting the condom on the cane. Am I right? Very confusing. <laughs> I'm, I'm... Do you have the hole underneath to the side? I don't. Think so. That's it. Remember, it sounds like I'm getting. I'm going back to the dolphin puns we had a couple of episodes don't ago. Don't ever go back there. I'm going, oh <laughs> don't ever go there. Had a lot of blowholes happening that oh, day. Yes, uh, <laughs> we had a whale of a time. Start. Turn the mic down. <laughs> but the first thing that happened that was very funny was the photographer that I had taking my photos. So if anybody has actually googled my escort photos, they are terrible. By the way, I look like some. 
1980s hooker cosplay from a convention <laughs> in Ohio. It is so terrible. Because I had all this like nice, tasteful black lingerie that I wanted to wear. And the photographer turned up and she had all this neon crap. Oh, no. um, and she also wanted to cover up the tattoos on my arms, of which there aren't very many. But at the time, that was not a thing. So, oh, it's just just various like Egyptian crap and Greek things. It's just a dick with a hole underneath. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Place here. Um, so she had me put on these white satin over the elbow gloves and I'm wearing these kind of bright purple boy shorts and holding my boobs. And of course she didn't like the room in the house where I was staying so we had to go into the main part of the house which yeah. of course didn't belong to me. It belonged to the flat owner who then came home halfway through. Oh. Um, and so I'm running to the door like holding my boobs going, please don't come in, please don't come in. She's like, what's going on? I'm doing a photography shoot for a rowing magazine. <laughs> I love to row. You know that about me. You knew that when I moved yes. in. Yes. <laughs> Great cocks, did you yes. say? Oh. So when that happened, I thought, oh, my God, I can literally tell no one about this, apart from, obviously, the entire world. You had to come out. Now, what would you say about, like, when you did come out and you sort of were pushed to do it, did you feel like it was a sense of relief and you could go on and do other things? Or were you? did you feel like you were tied to being Belle for a long time? A little bit of both, really. Mm. I mean, it is one of those things that I know that... Uh, it's kind of the thing that precedes me when mm. I walk in a room or anybody meets me for the first time and then they go off and Google and that's what they're going to see. So there is a little bit of knowing that that follows you around. And then at the same time, I don't have to keep secrets from anyone. And that is such a relief. Yeah. That is absolutely a relief. Would you have come out earlier if you had known what the reaction would be from like your friends? I'm not and sure if I would have come out to the public earlier, but I think I would have told friends and family earlier. Because okay. people were more supportive than I gave them credit for, yeah. generally. I think that happens a lot. Like, a lot of people that I've spoken to who are in the sex work industries, mm. they say they really want to come out to their friends and family. And it's, it's you know, trying to say, well, I don't know who what they're like, but... Mm. I I think that, but if you you've got to judge it by yourself. So, like, was there any indication that you knew that your friends or your family would be all right about it? Was there anything that you would say? I to mean, someone? my mother's a slut. Yes, I mean, yes. I didn't expect her to be shouting how proud she was. <laughs> She's a proud slut. She's a proud slut. With respect about your mother, yes. God, oh, of course. Just... <laughs> she gave so birth sorry. to me. She's a I wonderful know. woman. <laughs> um, but also, as well. I think that probably my family were used to just me doing my own thing and not yeah. really hanging around waiting on their approval. Yeah. So maybe it didn't surprise them as much as I thought it might. Yeah. And then you went on to do so many different things. Like if you start, you did the Bell Books and then you did the Sex Smith, which mm -hmm. uh, explain what the, the Sex Smith is. It kind of, the way you say it, it sounds like the Sex Smith. Yeah. It does. Yeah. Like the maker of sex. I tried to say it again to tr try not to say the Sex Smith, but it's the <laughs> Because you want to be a sex myth. I want to be the sex myth. Thank you very yes. much. Yes, please. The sex <laughs> myth. So I was looking at just ways in which issues around sex, sexuality and sex work are misreported in the media. Mm. This came directly out of my experience after I was outed when, um, when you know something about a story that's going on. You have some insider knowledge and then you read about the way it gets reported and you think, oh, my goodness, they've got everything wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong. Was there a particular story that inspired that? Not really. It was just more of an overall, like, you kind of see how the sausage is made yeah. of 
news stories and and the way that newspapers will repeat what people in other new, newspapers have said rather than checking the original material. And then it's the truth. And then yeah. it's the truth because it's been sourced. Was your, I guess, your kind of scientific research head yes. was not allowing that. Exactly, exactly. It's like you want to go back to first principles, first publications. <laughs> but we live in the Wikipedia world where something doesn't exist until there's been a secondary source. It's been in a newspaper. Yeah. No original research is ever allowed to enter the loop. And so this was kind of an effort on my part to try to pull some of the original research on these issues back into discussion around sex work, around trafficking, around teenage sex statistics, and and all of these things that everybody has some kind of received knowledge that very often turns out to be wrong. And that led on to the London strippers, the London strip clubs. I remember oh, seeing a massive report yes. about the London strip clubs. Yes, so there had been a report that came out several years previous to that book talking about how uh, rape in Camden troubled or something in yeah. response to Spearmint Rhino existing. Um, and, of course, at the time I was working in uh, epidemiology and population statistics. So I had access to a lot of population data. And I thought, well, if I just apply what I know from that field to this field and reanalyze these data, do the numbers hold up? And and they did not. Um, there were a lot of errors in the original report. Even now, so even after the sex myth and, and just the coverage around the corrected numbers, the incorrect numbers are still reported because People will Google it and they'll come up with something that was in The Guardian in 2001 and not check to see if anything, any work has been done since then. Yeah. It's a persistent myth and it's also quite a dangerous one because when we talk about the causes of rape and violence against women, yeah. this assumption that men will just see boobs on a stage and then go out and attack someone in the bushes yeah. is, is really just a horrifying mm. uh, idea, but in no way reflects the reality of what we know about violence and sexual assault, how much of that happens between people who know each other within existing intimate relationships. So this kind of theory of the stranger rape that someone is has seen a naked lady and is going to go out and attack the next woman he sees is absolutely incorrect. It's just not how it happens. Yeah. It's so interesting to go from, like, these hilarious... The books that you wrote that were really hilarious and then this really interesting book about the science and the the way that sex gets reported and then to go into uh, very serious subjects about, you know, rape and the mm. miscorrelation between strip clubs. How do you feel about that thing of going from funny, funny, funny to I'm going to use that and I'm going to be really quite serious and bring some some serious topics. It's one of those things that I don't really see it as as, as there being that much of a disjunction. Um, but unfortunately, publishers do. Yeah. They really kind of didn't know what to do with me when so I wasn't belly. Yeah, what's gone? Yeah. What, what were they going to do They're like, well? oh, shit, she yeah. actually is a scientist. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Damn that brain. Yeah. I, I thought they just said that whilst they were hooking. Yeah. So they feel like they get two for one special. Right. Exactly. Oh, yeah. oh God, men love that. No, that was part of my cover story. Like part <laughs> yeah. of uh, Because the man has, what's your real name? Oh, my real name's Lisa. And then they feel like they've had something out of you, even though yeah. it's the fake real name what do you do i'm a graduate student in physical chemistry studying spectroscopy <laughs> now that was my cover story for ages and then and then i got somebody who knew something about the spectroscopy <laughs> i was like ah, oh, yes triple fluorescence of salicylates 
Let's not talk about this. You should just pretend to faint, have a heart attack. That's what I would do in times of great stress. You have to charge double for that. Oh, yeah, okay. (laughs) (laughs) Were there any moments in the books that were just too risque to put in? Are there any juicy bits you can tell us? No, I think there's a lot of mundane bits. Yeah? That I really... It's just like, how many times can you say cock before people are just sort of sick of of cock? Yeah. You know, um, and things like that. Was that the go-to word for how you would describe their bit? cock they're big cock yeah yeah <laughs> see how they ginormous we say cock. oh yeah you have got yeah, a big cock big well cock. done whatever uh, but but after <laughs> after it sort of revealed somebody that i worked with um she just many people were accepting but she's like i just don't think i could be friends with you anymore <sighs> and i was like why is that and she's like, all the anal i just don't get it <laughs> Like like up to this point, she clearly had not spent a lot of time picturing me having anal sex with strangers for money. <laughs> and now that she was, uh, that we could no longer be friends. <laughs> of all the moves, it was the the fisting was fine. Sure. And she remove your jewelry. Yes. Well, eventually. Yes. <laughs> Menstrual sex, fine. <laughs> Water sports. Anal. Fine. Yeah. You know, the the literal line I shat on a man's chest for money. Fine. Anal. Yeah. Draw the line. How much how much was pooing on a chest? That was actually quite a lot that one. How much? That was getting up into eight hundred an hour. Yeah. yeah, you've got to time it well. It's all about the timing, and you've got to make sure that you diet for the past it, couple of it's days. It's true, actually. You you'd think, oh, I can just take a laxative. No, you want to have control. <laughs> you know, I'm you want to be well hydrated. Subject, to be honest, with I was girls. also a vegetarian at sure. the time, so it was it was a bit predictable. Yeah. <laughs> Good bean supper the night before. Oh my uncle. god, this is horrible. <laughs> What about like because I because I used to get asked for period sex a lot, but I was on the injection, so I didn't right. get it. But like, did you Tommy figure Kay, out ways? You just got some ketchup out. I know that was what I was just about to ask. Like, did you figure out any ways to like fake anything and or like? I, I mean, the obvious one, the one that everybody knows, is you fake when you're not having a period because people who don't want menstrual sex really don't want it. Yeah, and just the bit of sponge up there. And I'm still a sponge fan, actually. You know, a little little bit of sea sponge moisten it whack it up there they don't even know they're banging into it you know they're they're hitting a juicy little sponge of blood and they don't even know they don't even know juicy little sponge of love oh (laughs) dinner ruined (laughs) sounds like a bill daniels song oh my juicy little sponge of love so you've just started using patreon how has that been going it's been it's been interesting Mm. actually um Obviously, social media has changed so much from when I started blogging and going on Twitter and watching other authors connect directly with fans has been great. So I've recently come to the end of my contract with Orion and I'm writing the next thing chapter by chapter and patrons can sort of read along as I'm doing it and kind of see the nuts and bolts of the process of how a book gets created. Yeah. Um, all Do they of... make you change things though? Do they influence Oh yeah. Oh, well, people will point out continuity errors and things like that. It's kind of nice because it's like having dozens of editors Is looking... It? 
<laughs> it is for me. People criticize me. <laughs> I would rather know sooner than later. Okay. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And so you're definitely. writing it. It's not like you're releasing one chapter at a time. You're writing it. I'm actually right in the process of writing it. So now. they'll they'll get yeah. to see all your edits and drafts, all the changes. Um, oh my god! Character name changes, place changes have changed a couple of times. Yeah. Some of the patrons actually pay to have their own names appear yeah. in it somewhere, but they don't get a lot of choice over what their name gets attached to. So. <laughs> You know, whether that's like a hero or a dead body or, you know, some scumbag who gets picked up or yes, whatever. Maybe Miranda can go into yeah. it. Do it subtly. <laughs> yeah. Um, can we have a bad guy called BB? Oh. And uh, <laughs> just in case. Singer, singer called Miranda. Singer who's very good at the dolphin puns <laughs> called Miranda. Um, of course. Well, it takes place in Florida, so dolphin <gasps> puns sure. yes. are very appropriate. Oh, dip into that. Yeah. Nice. Dive in. You're writing kind of thriller forensic stuff as well yes where are you going with all of this where's your journey going um i really have no idea <laughs> at this point i mean i i i suppose before all of the bell stuff happened i would have thought at this point in my career i'd be a reader at a research hospital or something like that kind of level or professor or something like that by yeah. now obviously Things keep taking turns and instead of trying to control it, which was part of what the anonymity thing was, is trying to keep control of my career and yeah. and not have that go off the rails. I've kind of embraced the fact that it's going off the rails and just sort of following it and seeing where it goes. Would, would young slutty Brooke <laughs> have imagined you'd be here now? No, no. I think she would have thought she'd be slutting it up with like some Nobel laureates. Um <laughs> You know, just doing the rounds at the forensic conferences. And <laughs> doing the same thing, but just not getting paid. Not getting paid enough. <laughs> yeah. How do you like them, legendary apples? That was Belle de Jour. Check out Dr. Brooke Magnanti's latest book, You Don't Know Me, which is out now on Orion. This is Good Sex, Bad Sex, presented by me, Bibi Lynch, and the hilarious Amanda Kane. We'll both be back next week. Uh, in the meantime, check out our blogs at metro.co.uk. And today's podcast, every podcast, produced by Sam Bonham. Please remember our hot take next week. Ta-ta, lovers. <laughs>